0: Coming from a place of caring and kindness and understanding people is the most important thing we can do to get us through uh, crises. When people are angry, it's because they're afraid. And when people are um, anxious, it's because they're afraid. And if you can help them deal with that, and deal with the fear, you can get them through things. And recognizing that we don't know everybody's story, and I say this, you know, we're in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat.
1: I'm Shannon Busta, and this is For Her Country, a podcast produced by the True Patriot Love Foundation and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund. Over the course of this series, we'll explore lessons in leadership from inspirational female leaders from across Canada's armed forces, all in honor of fallen Canadian military hero, Captain Nicola Goddard. The clip you just heard is from Dr. Bonnie Henry, Provincial Health Officer for British Columbia. Many of you are likely familiar with Dr. Henry, as she's been widely praised for her leadership throughout the coronavirus crisis. But what you may know less about is Dr. Henry's military background. She's the daughter of an Army major, and she enlisted in the Navy full-time during her third year of medical school at Dalhousie University. Dr. Henry spent a decade serving as a medical officer on naval ships, and her medical practice has taken her around the world, working with the World Health Organization and UNICEF. She has worked in Pakistan, helping to eradicate polio, and in Uganda, tracing Ebola outbreaks. So needless to say, she's racked up a lifetime of leadership and crisis management experience. Our conversation today takes us back to growing up with an Army major father and being raised to believe that women can do anything they apply themselves to. We learned a lot in our conversation with Dr. Henry, and the lesson that's really stayed with me is the role that compassion and kindness play in strong leadership. As you'll hear from Dr. Henry, empathy and compassion and kindness are not contradictory to strong leadership, but rather key ingredients. And they've played an important role in how she has approached managing the current crisis facing British Columbia. Dr. Henry, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It is an honor to have you. Your father was a major in the Army. And so I'd like to start off our conversation by asking what it was like growing up with a parent in the military.
0: Yeah. So I come from a family of four girls. And, uh, you know, my father was a, a tank driver, as we like to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? Um, Uh, We moved around a lot. Uh, He was posted many, many times. So you do develop a certain resiliency when you grow up in that sort of a lifestyle. And, you know, I did learn a lot from my father around time appreciation. He was very much (laughs) about being on time, and that stays with me. Um, But he also, uh, you know, despite uh, the military being, um, uh, you know, very... (laughs) Uh, structured and organized uh, and very male-dominated, particularly at that time, um, my father and both my parents brought us up to believe we could do anything we wanted to do um, as, as girls, as women, and that, uh, you know, they were proud always of our intelligence and doing well in school and um, always very encouraging of us to, to take on things. So, you know, that was part of my
1: growing up and you certainly did take on things. I know that you enlisted in the Navy full-time in the third year of your medical degree, but were you in the reserves before that?
0: Yeah, so I had been in the reserves uh, through much of my undergrad and spent a lot of time uh, with, first with Brunswicker, and then with Scotian when I was in uh, uh, medical school, and then uh, then, yes, I enlisted. Uh, in my third year of medical school, I, I joined the Reg Force.
1: And what was behind that decision? What motivated you to enlist full-time? Well, there's a couple of things. Part of it, of course,
0: was financial. It was challenging. Um, medical school is always a bit of a hard slog. And, uh, um, you know, I would uh, you get a salary when you join. But the other part of it was really that I wasn't sure what type of medicine I wanted to practice. And I knew that I had uh, lots of really great adventures in my naval reserve time. I spent a lot of time out here on the West Coast uh, learning how to navigate and all kinds of uh, interesting things out on the water and, um, and realized that uh, it would give me opportunities to do some interesting things. And I still enjoyed, of course, the, the travel and had that sense of adventure that you get from growing up in a family that moves around a lot and uh, you know, has lived in many different places. So it was a combination of things that, uh, that drove me towards it.
1: And can you take us on the ship with you? What is it like to serve on a naval vessel as a medical professional?
0: Sure. so um you know, it, it was um it was a little bit challenging at first. I, at the initial uh, time I was posted to to a ship, I was the only woman on board to start, <laughs> but then we had some more people come in. and as a uh, you know, a young newly fresh off <laughs> training uh, physician, um, there's lots of challenges because you go out uh, on the ocean and we had, I was posted to um, HMCS provider at the time, which is one of the resupply ships and it has a little hospital bay, sick bay we call it. So it had, a, 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 I had my own um, little examination room, we had an x-ray machine, we had a little laboratory, and then I had a little four b- bunk, um, Uh, uh, isolation ward, we called it. So if people needed to be kept uh, um, in uh, an area by themselves for whatever reason, we could do that. But uh, you know, the days start like everybody else, you get piped awake in the morning and <laughs> I had a cabin that was inside my uh, sick bay, which meant that everybody knew where to find me all the time. <laughs> so if, if they needed a bandage or whatever, they would come knock on my door. But it also mean, meant that you got to know people really well. And I had a really good team. We have medical assistants and and physicians assistants in the military um, that we work together. And you learn how to do a little bit of everything um but most of it was mostly looking after young healthy men um so in the morning it'd be coughs and colds and sore backs and sore knees and people who would uh, trip Or if we in heavy seas uh, we would have uh, people who would get uh, broken bones or bruises or cuts and I, d- I did a fair amount of dentistry sort of basic dentistry because things like that happen when you're out in the middle of the ocean and uh in a steel ship. Um, but our days were, uh, you, you know, the, there's a rhythm to them. And I really loved some of our time at sea where we'd be out in the middle of the ocean. And some of the things I remember, you know, stopping in the middle of the ocean between, we're going from um, from Esquimalt here in the West Coast to, to Hawaii and stopping to have a swimming exercise where uh, you would you know, you'd scramble down on, I always wore a life jacket because I'm not a great swimmer, but you're out in the middle of the ocean and you're thinking, okay, the closest land is a mile down. <laughs> and and the big swell would come and you wouldn't be able to see the ship and you can really feel like just how far you could be in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, the, the, you get into a rhythm and a life on board the ship that was sometimes challenging. Um, and it, it was... Uh, it it was, uh, I would often say, you know, 90% boredom and 10% panic, because when things happen, they could sometimes happen very quickly. And um, you'd have to be right on it right away. And there are people, you know, there'd be um, uh, an explosion and injuries and people. So it, it was something that you needed to be prepared for all the time.
1: Ah, that story about swimming in the middle of the ocean gives me chills. I have such a fear of deep water.
0: We would put a ship and one of the boats down uh, off the side of the ship and a couple of the guys would be there with rifles in case there were sharks, right? so So we did have to be careful.
1: Well, that's definitely not something that most doctors need to worry about when they're on the job. What was it like for you in those days being the only woman or one of very few women on a naval vessel? You know, it was
0: challenging in many ways. Um, It was a a changing time in the military. It was a time when women were in more and more roles, Um, but it was never easy. Um, I used to think, oh, I just like to get through the day without somebody reminding me that I'm a woman, (laughs) you know. Um, I think I had it a little bit easier because I was a physician, and so I had a certain um, I could make your life miserable if you weren't nice to me. But, but I also had a role that meant that I, uh, I had, I cared for people and I was the one who was looking after them. And, um, so it was, a balance of that, and at a very, you know, because I was a, an officer and had that that role, I also um, had to sort of set some guidance for a lot of the younger women who were in other uh, other trades or other uh, parts of the uh, of the ship, and and you know that was challenging too. So it was um, it was a time when we were all learning how to figure it out, um, and there was, uh, you know. Some days it was better than others, let's just say, but I learned a lot about living in close quarters with uh, with uh, men and women and how you go through stages and uh, people do go through these cycles of uh, getting along and then not getting along and, and you have to do things as, as leaders. You have to be able to support people going through all of these different phases when you go to sea for long periods of time in particular, because everybody has a different story. There's things happening at home. There's being away. There's that adjustment that you go through um, before you leave. And then when you go back to your family and um, everybody takes that with them. And as a leader, you have to be able to to help people through that, and and recognize that somebody may be acting out today because they just got a message from home that made them upset, or or they're not getting along with the person that they're they're in a very small cabin with, and, and you know there's six guys all in this very small room, and and you don't all um, have the same patterns all the time, so. You know, a lot of our role was helping people work through those different things in their lives so that we could as well support each other and build that level of trust that you need for when things, um, when things went bad or when you needed to be really on your game.
1: I'm Catherine Ross. Captain Nicola Goddard was my sister, and I'd like to make a request. Military service can bring great challenges and sacrifices. Women in particular can face unique issues. Help True Patriot Love and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund support Canada's service women, veteran women, and their families. True Patriot Love Foundation is a national organization that supports the military and veteran community by funding critical programs across the country. Please consider donating today
0: towards their mission at tplgoddardfund.com. No donation is too small.
1: On behalf of my family and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, we thank you for your support. This episode is sponsored by Hydro One. Hydro One is proud to support True Patriot Love and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, and we thank them for sponsoring today's episode. You've obviously been in the business of helping people for a very long time, but I'm wondering how your time in the Navy helped prepare you for the challenges you've been facing since the coronavirus pandemic.
0: Yeah, you know, I I, I think I have all of the things that have happened in my life over the last, uh, 30 years since I graduated from medical school. Yeah, it's our 30 year anniversary this year, but we had to postpone our reunion. <laughs> but uh, if I think about all of those things, it, it really is um, recognizing that, that coming from a place of caring and kindness and understanding people is the most important thing we can do to get us through uh, crises. And that when people are angry, it's because they're afraid. And when people are, um, you know, anxious, it's because they're afraid. And if you can help them deal with that and deal with the fear, you can get them through things and recognizing that we don't know everybody's story. And I say this, you know, we're in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And some of us are, you know, madly bailing a, a leaky skiff and other people are in a luxury yacht. And our perspectives are quite different.
1: On the topic of kindness, you've been quoted saying, this is our time to be kind, to be calm, and to be safe. And that often stands in stark contrast with the approaches taken by leaders around the world. How did you come to the decision that this was the best approach for you and for Canadians? Yeah, I, I think I
0: innately knew it from my experience and all these other crises that, that if you care for people in a crisis, that's what helps minimize the trauma. We're, we're all, uh, you know, when you're facing um, an unknown virus, and cases are going up, and you're seeing what's happening in other places around the world. There's a, a sense of anxiety and fear that keeps people awake, and you know, I know it. I know it well. But if you're able to to say, okay, you know, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, and support people with kindness, and you know, that's where we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Um, and same with being calm. If we can just take deep breaths, you know, that just helps us ground and recognize that um, that person or the, the people who are doing whatever they're doing are maybe doing it because they're in a different situation than I am and I just need to, to let it let it settle down. And then that's what allows us to take the measures that we need to, to be safe. So it, it came together mostly um, I was talking that I was being interviewed by a young um a young reporter and he was asking me about kids making fun of uh, some of the Asian kids in his class who were wearing masks. And, you know, we talked and I said how that made me very sad and that we needed to be kind with each other because people wear masks because of respect in many cultures. And so we were talking about that and it it really highlighted to me that um, the most important thing we can do is be be supportive of each other. And then we don't end up having to, to take these enforcement measures, because if we're all doing it together, um, then we'll get through it together. It, I, I I worry that, it, you know, if you start by saying, well, you do this or else we're going to find you. And then, then you get on that, how do you escalate that? If I'm going to find somebody for sitting on a park bench, then what am I going to do if somebody, you know, doesn't isolate when they're supposed to? We need to put it back on all of us innately um, want to do the right thing. And if we give people, um, we tell them what you need to do and why you need to do it. And that's why I think it's so important to present data and to present all of the stuff that we were looking at and be open about it. Because then you know why I'm saying this. And we give people the means to do it. Then people will do what we need to do. And and the vast majority of people do. Um, And then you only have to focus on the small number of people that need a little bit of extra help.
1: And obviously your approach has been very effective. And you've been praised for your empathy. And based on our conversation thus far, I can understand why. I'm curious about the role that you see empathy playing in a strong leadership style.
0: Yeah, so I I think sometimes there's this belief that if you're empathetic, if you're kind, if you say those words like compassion and integrity and love, that there's something innately weak in that um but i really think it is what what uh, knowing what you know empathy and compassion are about understanding the other's suffering and if we can understand somebody else's suffering then we can help um, solve some of those problems we can share that and and with something like this you know became obvious early on that this was something that was going to affect everybody broadly, particularly when we started to see the virus spreading in in Europe and it became really apparent in Italy, the effects that it was having, um, you, you know, People could say, "Okay, well, it's just China, you know, they do things differently there. But when it was spreading in many other places, it was really important that we had empathy for each other because all of us were going to be affected by this. So that was something I felt was really important. It, It doesn't mean that you can't make hard decisions and that's another thing that i think is really important in leadership is you you can't let it paralyze you you need to make um, you need to make decisions with imperfect information and not everybody is able to do that and uh, that is one of the things that uh, you know i have learned over time that is something that i do fairly well but not making a decision can have impacts as well as making decisions. So um, it's really challenging um, and in public health, we're not used to uh, being sort of that command and control <laughs> environment. And that was something that I, you know, you learn how to work in that type of an environment and you learn the importance of of making informed decisions, um, certainly in the Navy and, and my upbringing. Um, and I've used that in many other outbreaks that I've been involved in, but it's another, thing that was important here. Having empathy is one thing, having integrity, but also having that expertise and and listening to people, knowing what the the options were and knowing, um, making the right decisions and actually making decisions, I think is incredibly important as part of leadership.
1: Staying on the topic of empathy, some of the guests that we've had on the show have spoken about the challenges that they faced early on in their career, letting the empathetic side of their leadership show. Did you face any challenges adapting your style of leadership to the style of the armed forces? Uh, I you know what I,
0: I that's funny because I hadn't thought about this for a while, but absolutely. When I was doing basic training, um, you do these scenarios, and the, the the you know there's a lot in the basic training for the military that sets you up to be. Uh, to learn leadership. And part of it is you need to learn how to be a follower before you become a leader and and what it's like to follow others, um, even if you might disagree with them. And I think that's a really important perspective to have. But I remember when I was doing, we do these scenarios and you had to, you know, get up a cliff and and create a bridge and, and, you know, pretty... Cool stuff, but and uh, physical and and you know you're sleep deprived and it, you do these scenarios that take days and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I remember the the trainers afterwards would always say to me, "Oh, you don't yell enough. You you, you know you talk too softly and you're not. You, you need to be more. You, you need to yell more." And I was thinking. I got the job done, didn't I? <laughs> but, you know, so it was my criticism early on that I wasn't loud enough and yelling enough, but I don't know, made it through.
1: You made it through and you managed to maintain your style. I just don't think I have,
0: maybe I just don't have the vocal cords. I can't sing either. So
1: So you entered the Navy at a time when there were still very few women in the armed forces. And now in your current role, you're the first woman to hold the position of provincial health officer for British Columbia. Can you tell us what that means to you? Yeah, I,
0: I also have been very uh, lucky and blessed in that I've had a number of, of mentors, many of them women who have, uh, you know, gone before me. Um, but my predecessor in this job, Dr. Perry Kendall, is one of my mentors, and I still hold him close. So it, it, is, um, it is really rewarding to be here. But it's also rewarding because if I look across the country right now, and I'm, I happen to chair what we call our Council of Chief Medical Officers of Health, and the vast majority of them are women right now. So we are um, leading the country, you know, in terms of uh, responding to this pandemic. I have some very uh, great, strong male leaders as well. Um, but, you know, I look at Theresa Tam, who's our chief public health officer for Canada, who's also, you know, a, a really knowledgeable, intelligent, um, has a great integrity and is a super leader as well. So I'm very lucky that we have a good, strong sense of uh, uh, of female leadership in this country.
1: And we're all the better for it. It seems like you've been going nonstop for months now since the beginning of the pandemic. How do you find balance while maintaining effective leadership? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure balance is where I'm at right now. <laughs> um, I have to say that it is. It, it does tire you out. Um, part of being a good leader, though, is is recognizing the things in yourself that uh, when you do need to take that time. And I I have had a number of periods where I've been very close to the edge and um, needed to take uh, some time to think. Uh, you know, and finding that time is really important. And part of doing that is um, having people that you can trust and being able to trust people. Um, so uh, and letting it go. Even if people are doing things that might be slightly different than your approach, um, as long as you have the same aim and you know where you're going together, um, you do have to let people take it on. So I do have people that take on things. Um, I'm still the the voice in the face right now, but we've been decreasing the numbers of days that we're doing uh, media briefings and that has helped. But I'm um, I'm definitely do for a bit of a break, and I'm looking at taking one soon. So it, it is important um, to have, you know, I also think a mark of a good leader is to have a secession plan to have people who can take um, over from you so that if you're hit by a bus tomorrow, if I'm a good leader, there's somebody else who can immediately step in and take my job. So that's, that's what I've been trying to look for. I have to say that when we started this pandemic, unfortunately, I had not replaced my position <laughs> when I took over. So uh, it's been a bit of a challenge, but I have some great people who, are, who have stepped up and are working with my team right now. So that's a really important thing.
1: Well, we all hope that you get a break soon. You certainly deserve it. And you've already shared a couple of really great stories from your time in the Navy. But I'm wondering if when you look back and you reflect on your career, if there are any moments from your time in the armed forces that really stand out for you? Wow. Yeah. You know, there's... uh...
0: The the one thing about the military is that you're thrown together in a situation um, where you have um, common suffering and common suffering builds strong bonds. As I often say, I say that about the Maritimes where I grew up because, you know, we have some pretty wild winters and things, but people look after each other. And um, I think about some of the things that we went through in in the Navy, and other things that I did in the military. And it is those times when you have a common purpose that you build that connection with people that really stay with you, and it gives you uh, you know those memories of of. Um, being part of a team that is doing something, and those are things that you carry, that I carry with me, um, when I'm talking to people about how do we get through this storm together? You know, by um, recognizing that we are all suffering, and by supporting each other, and that's how we can reduce the traumas on each other.
1: <laughs> and one last question before we let you go, Dr. Henry: Many Canadians and folks around the world are feeling very scared right now about what the future holds do you have a message of hope that you'd like to share with our audience
0: i do you know what um things are things are still um quite <laughs> scary I guess is the right word um, you know when we have not controlled this virus it is still um, you know uh, causing a lot of death and destruction in, in many places including very close to us in the United States and, but the things we know way more now than we knew even six months ago when this started and we do know things that work and it, it is um, we have shown uh, in many places around the world that when we do these things to support each other, we can get through this. So we are in a strange place right now. And I've talked about it as being, you know, we're in a philosophical place because we still have people who are getting sick from this. But we know that if we do the right things, we can keep that number low. We can protect our health care system. We can get people um, the care they need. We can get people starting to work again because we know there's consequences for that. So, you know, I do say it's 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 not forever, but it is for now. And if we continue to do these things, we can find that balance that will get us through the next um, year uh, until we have a vaccine. I think that is something that is going to be really important for us. Um, And that is the thing that will help us, but we'll learn from this and we'll learn about um, how we can care for each other better, how we can, I would like to see us, you know, this virus and this pandemic has exposed some of the the inequities that we have in our, um, in our culture, in our systems, in our, um, the way we're structured in society. So how can we use what we have been through to try and build us back in a better way? So I think there is hope. I think we're recognizing things and, you know, governments are recognizing that if we support people and and make sure that they get through the health crises, then we can build back the economic piece, but it's going to take time. And I think uh, there is some time for us to go. And that's why we all have to keep focused on the things that we're doing, which are being kind and being caring for each other, staying calm and staying safe.
1: Dr. Henry, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and it's just been an honour to have you. Thank you for all the work that you're doing to keep Canadians safe.
0: Well, I'm really excited, and thank you. I think this is a great thing to do, and um, so congratulations to you guys.
1: And on the next episode of For Her Country, we speak with Lieutenant Navy Jen Martin about her career in the Navy, those challenging moments where you really grow as a leader, and how she found her way to Afghanistan. So the next thing I knew, I was um, more or less working under an American command that was led by a a Brigadier General. Uh, He was a really cool guy. General Smith was his name. Really liked him, but uh, he, kinda, he tasked me with a number of different things that were definitely outside of my element. I remember thinking a number of times, truthfully, that I was grossly unprepared for the missions that he was sending me. But I also realized that in the military, our commanders and our, you know, our chain of command will often give us tasks that are challenging for us to allow us to grow as individuals. If they give you the tasks that they know that you can handle, you don't really improve. And I love that challenge about the forces. You are constantly pinned into situations where you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing, but really you do. You just need to piece those things together. For Her Country is hosted by me, Shannon Busta. It is written and produced by me and Katrina Bolak. Our music is by Whiskey Wolf and Oceanic Piano. A special thank you to Catherine Rusk and the Goddard family and the team at True Patriot Love for their support throughout this project. And thank you to our episode sponsor, Hydro One. This project was produced with the True Patriot Love Foundation and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund. True Patriot Love is Canada's leading organization that supports military members and their families. It administers the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, which was started by the Goddard family to support women in the military in honor of Nicola. To learn more about this podcast and the great work of this organization, please visit ForHerCountry.ca and consider donating if you can.